So our intent today is to do an introduction to the Apostles' Creed, to uh, maybe give some reason why we would study it, especially as, as Baptists, as Protestants. Uh, we're not just Protestant. We're one step removed from being Protestant, be like the free church or the separate church. So that means that really uh, we are not even a denomination. Did you know that? That we're gathered together with 45,000 other Baptist churches. Uh, we gather together for one thing, and that is to send missionaries. But when it comes to our church, the church here is completely autonomous. That means that there's not a hierarchy over our church. There's not a bishop that's telling us what to do. That congregationally, the church votes on and decides for itself what it will do. And so that at any point, uh, the church can decide... We're tired of the preacher. Let's vote him out. You might not even known that, did you? We're thinking, gosh, I know we could do that. But the Apostles' Creed comes from um, way back in the church history. So we're going to come forward and find out why has it survived so long. Before I start reciting the creed, I'd like to ask you, just by a show of hands, how many of you came up in a church where you recited the Apostles' Creed. Raise your hand high so I can see it. I would be curious the number, um, the different flavors of church. Was yours a Catholic church? So Catholic, Lutheran, had a Baptist, Presbyterian, Methodist, what? Y'all said in a Pentecostal church? No, you weren't in a Pentecostal church. You just like to talk in church. You couldn't be a Pentecostal. <laughs> Any others that we've not mentioned yet? Episcopal. Yeah, I was, I was, I was uh, christened Episcopalian. Yeah. So that's seven. Is there any other we haven't mentioned? The ARP or the Reformed Church? Okay. So that's nine denominations so far. Said Lutheran. Disciples of Christ, you, you, and y'all said it every Sunday. So right there, just in this room, 10 different denominations that, if I were to list those denominations out, there are profound differences between those denominations. So if we take um, Baptist, which we are, and Roman Catholic, there are profound differences between uh, those two and all points in between. And yet... We are able to have this creed as a common thread. Let's read it. Let me read it to you. Some of you know it by heart. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived of the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried, he descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven. And he sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. Whence he shall come, or from whence he shall come to judge the quick, or the alive, and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. 
So, let's talk about this creed for the next few moments together. All Christians believe more than this creed. Right? So this is not the sum total of what you believe. All Christians believe more than this creed, but none believe less than this. Do understand when I said that? So all Christians at, at least believe this, but you can't be a Christian if you decide, you know what, there's a line there, I don't believe that. If you don't believe that God is Father and is Almighty and He created heavens and earth, you probably are not a Christian. Now, I asked you to raise your hands as to what church you came up in, and you saw the broad spectrum just in this room of people that knew the Apostles' Creed from all kinds of different church backgrounds. And that tells us that anyone who believes the Apostles' Creed, who gives assent to the Creed, could be counted as a Christian. Now, we obviously believe you have to be converted to give your life to Christ, turn from your sin, by faith, believe what Jesus has done. But when you, this puts you right inside, which is strange because, let's think about this creed just for a moment. I mean, you read it, it's a statement, but it leaves out a whole lot of what we believe, right? I mean, I'm preaching through the book of Romans right now. If you come on a Sunday morning, we're studying the Bible, and I'm preaching the book of Romans. We've been doing it for a year. We're going to do it for another year. We've got nine cha chapters to go. Uh, this Sunday, we'll ordain deacons. Next Sunday, we'll start back in Romans chapter 8, verse, verse 28. It's everybody's favorite verse in Romans. It should be, but verse 28 to 30, this beautiful statement of the security of the believer. We're going to go through it, but there's so much. Like this, the creed doesn't talk about the authority of Scripture. The creed doesn't talk about the depravity of man, that all people are sinners. It really doesn't talk much about the deity of Christ. I mean, you can kind of get that. It doesn't talk, I mean, as, as Protestants, we've come out of the Catholic Church, 1517, Martin Luther, right? As Protestants, we believe that we are justified by faith. We're saved by God's grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. This says nothing about that. And then, I mean, it, it contains some non-essentials. Like, it is not essential to the Christian faith that we have the line, he suffered under Pontius Pilate. Or, or what about the line, uh, he descended into hell? That's the one that kind of freaks everybody out. The, the reason being, it's hard to back that up with the Bible. We go to it and think, that's not what the Bible says. There are a couple of things here that you read and think, well, um, there's some non-essentials. Oh, let's summarize. The Apostles' Creed is at least three things. Number one, the Apostles' Creed is a summary, a summary of what the Bible teaches. Number two, the Apostles' Creed is a short narrative of God's redeeming love. You can read it and you see God's love. It's a short narrative of the redeeming love. And, number three, it is a concise, the Apostles' Creed is a concise statement of basic Christianity. I came up, I was christened Episcopalian, largely because my grandmother was Episcopalian, 
and she almost demanded it. So take me there to the physical church, put some water on my head, Episcopalian. We ended up joining a Presbyterian church. I came up in what would be a theologically liberal Presbyterian church, and I heard the Apostles' Creed every Sunday. That's how I memorized it. I memorized it not because I got ready for this class. I memorized it because from the time I could hear something in church, even a church that didn't actually believe in the gospel as we understand it, I heard the Apostles' Creed and I had some theological knowledge about the gospel. Here is a concise statement about basic Christianity. Well, let's back up and talk about history. Where in the world does this come from? Where does the Apostles' Creed come from? And we know where the Nicene Creed comes from. comes from Nicaea. We know where the Chalcedonian Creed comes from. I mean, we know where the other big creeds. The Apostles' Creed kind of emerges out of a murky history. For more than a thousand years, um, Christians in the Western world, so, so Western Europe, when you think about history, think about France and uh, where Germany is, think about Belgium, think about Austria, jump the channel, think about England. <clears throat> Western Europe, for a thousand years, recited this creed in church every Sunday, but they did it in Latin. And the opening line was, credo in deum. Credo in deum. I believe in God. That's where we get creed. So the word creed comes from the Latin word credo, which means I believe. So a creed is nothing more than a non-exhaustive statement of faith. It is not an exhaustive statement. It is something that says, these are the things I believe. So, let's go further. What would be earlier than the Apostles' Creed? Anybody know? It would be the Bible. Right? The earliest, earliest creed, shortest creed out of the Bible is going to be Jesus is Lord. That becomes a creed. It is a statement of what you believe about Jesus. And we get that out of the Bible, so... As Christians, we trust that the Bible is God's word. It is God speaking to us. We don't think that a creed is God's word. It is nothing more than a summary of God's word. You see the difference? So I think that the, we, we believe the Bible is without error, that a creed could be error. Like it would be debatable, did Jesus descend into hell? So let's talk about other creeds out of the Bible. The Bible has other creeds. The Apostle Paul, who is the great theologian of the Bible, that's why I'm preaching through Romans, he gives us several creeds or confessional statements in the Bible. <clears throat> the first one I'd like to call your attention, I'll give you about four or five of these. Yeah, four or five. Creeds out of the Bible. So statements of faith that are actually in the Bible. The first one is in 1 Timothy chapter 3. 1 Timothy chapter 3. Do you have that one? Yeah, first. Do you have it up here? Oh, there it is, okay. First Timothy chapter 3, notice what it says. Look at this statement of faith. Great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness. He was manifested in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, Proclaimed among the nations, 
believed on in the world, taken up in glory. Do you see the progression in each one of those statements? If you have a Bible, you might can see it better. Uh, he was manifested in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed to the nations, believed in the world, and then the ascension taken up in glory. That is essentially a statement of faith about Jesus. Another, another creed in the Bible would be uh, over in what Paul wrote to the church at Corinth, 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 6. Listen to this statement of faith. Yet for us there is one God, the Father, from whom are all things and for whom we exist. There's one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom are all things and through whom we exist. Again, you see, that's a statement of faith, right? It's a creed, a creed that comes out of the Bible. And as you listen to what I'm, uh, these other two or three that I mentioned, you'll hear that the Apostles' Creed is nothing more than a summary of what's in the Bible. It's not the Bible. It's not the Bible. It's a summary of what's in the Bible. Let me give you a third one. First <clears throat> uh, Corinthians chapter 15. If you, someone asks you, explain the gospel to me. First Corinthians 13 is a good place to go. To, uh, I mean, 1 Corinthians 15 is a good place to go to explain the gospel. Listen to this statement. Start in verse 3. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received. Here comes the creed. That Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. That he was buried. You hear how, it's similar, how the Apostles' Creed is similar? He was buried, he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve, then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep, and then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last, he appeared to me. Everybody, check your phones. All right, as you're, as you're waiting on that phone to quit, let's go to, um, let's go to Philippians. Let me show you another creed. <laughs> Philippians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians. Philippians chapter 2. You'll recognize this one. In fact, I've got this wide margin Bible that um, you can write here. And I think I've written some things that if I wanted to preach a sermon, I'll, somewhere I'll have with my Bible... I can, uh, I got some notes there. Philippians chapter 2, uh, let's read what you already should know pretty well, starting in verse 6. Though he was in the form of God, he did not account equality with God a thing to be grasped. This is what we believe. He emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Once again, a statement of faith. One more I'd like to give you. This one I'm 
working on um, trying to memorize Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1, verse 15 and 20. This is where the idea of creeds came from. What you're seeing here in the Bible, these short statements of concise theology that tell us about Christ. Right? So here comes short statement. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. A statement. Go back and look at that. It's a statement of faith that we have. It is a concise statement of what we believe about Jesus. Now, that's Bible creeds. I just gave you five creeds out of the Bible. The canon was closed. The Bible was done being written by the end of the first century. 80 or 90, if Revelation is written in 90-something, right? Then the Bible is closed. The creeds after that are not out of the Bible, but they are filled with the Bible. And of all the non-Bible creeds, the Apostles' Creed that we're studying, we're going to go line by line, and we'll use the Bible to illustrate what that line says. <clears throat> of the non-Bible creeds, the Apostles' Creed, it has the longest history, and it became the most universal creed in the entire Western church, including in the United States. It's the one that most people know. If you know any creed, you know the Apostles' Creed. You might not know the Nicene Creed, and it was a much more important creed. In 325, Constantine called all the bishops together and said, we've got to work this out. Uh, all he wanted was peace. They came up with Orthodox theology, Nicene Creed. We don't really know much about it. The average churchgoer doesn't think about the Nicene Creed. The first hint of the Apostles' Creed uh, being in existence was about the year 107. Think about that for a moment. We are 2020. About the year 107, it starts to show up in different letters from bishops. And then um, but from Ignatius, not Ignatius of Loyola, Loyola, but Ignatius, the church father. Fifty years after that, in about 140 or 50, uh, there's a summary of statements that emerged as something called the Roman Creed. Not Roman Catholicism, but it was the Roman Creed because it came out of Rome. But by the middle of the 4th century, so if 325 is the Council of Nicaea, that's when Constantine uh, brought the bishops together, about 40 years after that, the Apostles' Creed is completely like we have it here. So think about it. For 1,700 years, Christians around the world have been saying this creed. 
Now, the, the reason it's called the Apostles' Creed, first, was um, people thought the Apostles wrote it. There's 12 stanzas. Uh, so church myth was that each, each Apostle took a stanza, wrote it, came up with 12 stanzas, and the Apostles' Creed. Well, they certainly would not have been uh, Baptist Apostles. Have it come out like that. Right, so... Then, uh, as church tradition grew, realized the apostles could not have written this because it didn't come into existence like it is until the 4th century. So the Apostles' Creed is called that because it is a summary of the apostles' teaching. Although not written by the apostles, the creed does have great biblical truth. Okay, so what then do Christians do with it? What good is it to us? I mean, we are, we are Baptists. We have no creed but the Bible. If you're an old-time Baptist, you remember that statement. We have no creed but the Bible, which sounds great, except a whole lot of uh, heretical groups say the same thing. We, we must have guardrails. So how does a creed function? Well, I'll give you a couple of ways it functioned in church history. Let's take a walk through church history a little bit. This will be interesting for two or three of you. In church history... Uh, the Apostles' Creed, it functioned as a confession of faith before you were baptized. So you, you'd be with the church, and you'd go to the baptistry, probably a pool in the ground, and there uh, you would say the Apostles' Creed. And then you would be baptized. Which, by the way, shows us that it wasn't infant baptism that was first, it was baptism by immersion first right just a little plug there for the baptist earliest um baptisms would include you would say the apostles creed and then be baptized it was a statement of what you believe the, the apostles creed was used as a catechism anybody know what a catechism you came up and you heard the catechism so you're asking questions answered it would be something good for us to have baptists really because you learn a whole lot of theology with the catechism and so it was used uh as a catechism if you had the Apostles' Creed, you would have the Ten Commandments and have the Lord's Prayer. Those three things became what taught people theology in the church. How they learned about Jesus was the Apostles' Creed, the Lord's Prayer, and the Ten Commandments. How else did it serve? Well, the Apostles' Creed served as a, a rule of faith, provided... Uh, Christian continuity. For instance, we in this room have all different backgrounds. We can say the Apostles' Creed. All of us know the Apostles' Creed. We believe that. And but even though we may have come from different countries, different churches, there's some continuity, right? There's unity that tells us these are the, some of the things that we believe. Another way it were, uh, served in the church that is still serving in lots of churches, not ours, but some churches, uh, by the 7th century, so that's the 600s, by the 7th century, it became a part of the official church liturgy. When I say liturgy, what I mean is it became part of what you did at church. That's why I came up in a church that, um, although I never actually heard the gospel, how I could be saved, I did hear the Apostles' Creed that taught me some basic theology. It became part of the church service that has been going on for 1,400 years 
saying Apostles' Creed. Another way that it, that, uh, it serves people is that it becomes a part, uh, it became a part of devout Christians might, would recite it at night or in the morning. It's a part of your devotion. So you think about your devotion. We, the way I do my devotion in the morning is I take my Bible, I'm reading the Bible using the everyday plan. Everybody got the everyday plan? Get it on the app or pick up the pamphlet that gives you. And so I go through, I mark what I read. And to keep me from reading too fast, I'll circle every uh, number, like every verse number. That way I don't skip where I'm, I'm, so I go slow, circle the verse, and uh, we'll try to read the Proverbs slow. The everyday plan's kind of strange. It makes you stop in these weird spots. I'm getting accustomed to that. Um, then after I do that, I'll spend some time praying, and then I might read a devotional book like Habits of Grace. It takes about an hour or so. Well, if you didn't have a copy of the Bible, and most people didn't have a copy of the Bible, then you might would remember the Apostles' Creed, you would memorize it, and you would recite that in the morning or in the evening, do that along with the Lord's Prayer, and that would become your devotion. Think about uh, where the church came from. So the church came, um, after the Apostles are dead, you have the church fathers, including Ignatius, and then they lived in the Roman world. Rome hated the church, oftentimes persecuted the church. It was not legal until Constantine, 325, uh, 317. It made the church legal. Right before that, the Christians are being persecuted. And a lot of times, martyrs, people that would die for Christianity, would die at the stake, being burned there or attacked by lions, and would die reciting the apostles' So it's a part of, our, part of our history. So something happened in 1517. Anybody know what 1517? What happened in 1517? 95 Theses, Martin Luther, Protestant Reformation that pulled out of the Catholic Church that gave rise uh, to where we are today. Why we do church like we do is largely the Protestant Reformation and in the Protestant Reformation, so much of the Catholic Church was thrown aside. By the time the Reformation jumped over the English Channel into England, and uh, once Henry VIII was gone, and, and Bloody Mary, his daughter, was gone, there became this growing sort of iconoclasm and, and destroying some of the icons, throwing out all of the, the Catholic liturgy before it was restored back with the Anglican Church. But one thing that survived was the Apostles' Creed. In fact, the, the greatest of the fire-breathing reformers, Martin Luther, John Calvin, they all thought there's great truth in the Apostles' Creed. That's why the Presbyterian Church recites the Apostles' Creed. The Lutheran Church, Apostles' Creed. Anglican Church, Episcopalian Church. Why? Because there's, there's centering truths. In the Apostles' Creed. That's a little bit of the history. Let's go to the sections of it. You have a copy of it there. There are three broad sections of the Apostles' Creed. And there is a, a Trinitarian structure in it. Trinitarian. We are Trinitarians. We believe God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. We believe that God the Father plans our salvation. God the Son accomplished it on the cross as it's finished. And God the Spirit applies it to our hearts. We're convicted and we believe. So the Trinitarian nature, you'll find that 
in the Apostles' Creed. You see how it starts? I believe in God the Father Almighty. Statement of God the Father, who's the maker of heaven and earth. And then you get into the heart of the Apostles' Creed is Jesus. The longest statements about Jesus. Believe in Jesus Christ, who is his only Son, and he is our Lord. I believe he was conceived of the Holy Spirit. I believe he was born of the Virgin Mary. That he suffered under Pontius Pilate. He was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven. He sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From where he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. Let's look. just pick out eight things. Right there in the heart of this creed is Jesus. That's why we love it so much. Right? So what does this tell us about? It tells us about the conception of Jesus. That he was conceived of the Holy Spirit. That he is completely divine. The birth of Jesus. That he was uh, delivered by Mary. That means he is fully man. This is the controversy. The whole thing about in Nicaea, the Nicene Creed, the Chalcedonian Creed, they're fighting about the deity and the humanity of Jesus. And this creed says he is fully God, fully man. This creed tells, tells us of his suffering. Right? We believe that uh, in the garden where he took on sin, this is Orthodox Christian, where he took on sin in the garden, he drank it to the bottom, the cup where he said, let this cup pass. He drank it and there took on our sin. Right? We also believe in the crucifixion, mentioned in the creed, that Jesus died on the cross as a substitute. Died, when I say a substitute, he died in the place of sinners. And there, Jesus took all the sin of every sinner that will ever be saved. Complete. That's why he could say it's finished. Salvation's done. Because he took it all. Right? So suffering, crucifixion, and then we believe uh, in the resurrection. That's the exclamation point that tells us that he was the firstborn from the dead, that he was the one that led the way, made it so that we don't have to fear death, right? Then he ascended into heaven. This is the glory of the Lord. You don't hear many sermons on the ascension. We should. But his ascension is this reminder that he is our intercessor. I've been going through the book of Romans. And we know that Jesus is our intercessor in heaven. And who is our intercessor here on earth? Anybody remember? The Holy Spirit in you. So you have the Holy Spirit groaning, right? Uh, Jesus exalted. And then the last statement of, uh, one of the last statements is that he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. Judgment. That's Jesus. But it goes on. Look what it says about the church. So we have uh, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, opens up with the, with the idea of the Holy Spirit and goes right into the church. Notice what the text, uh, almost said, notice what the text says. Not the text, the creed. I believe in the Holy Spirit and the Holy Catholic Church. Now, don't let this make you stumble. You see that Holy Catholic there? Small C, it's on purpose. Big C would be the actual Roman Catholic Church. Small c, the word Catholic means universal. So what, what we're essentially saying is, we don't think we're the only Christians in the world. We, we believe we're part of the universal church. That there are other people in Charlotte, North Carolina, that are part of another denomination that are also Christians. They would be a part of the universal church. But notice also about the church, the communion of the saints. 
Now, we believe that when we have the Lord's Supper, we are together and remembering what Christ has done for us. A Catholic church, or even a Lutheran church, uh, would put a whole lot more. It would say, would be re, re-sacrificing. Showing it again. That's why that there would be such um, sacred thoughts on the bread and the wine. We would complete, that's where we start to, it's one of the areas we believe that the sacrifice of Jesus was done on the cross. It was done once for all and does not need to be uh, reenacted. It is actually needs to be remembered. Right? And so you have the communion of the saints. We believe in the forgiveness of sins, that we point people to the cross. Church is pointing people to the cross of Jesus, and there they receive forgiveness of sins. We believe that when we die, one day Christ will call out, loud voice, and the resurrection of the body, and we believe in life everlasting. That comes right from the Apostles' Creed. So, why is the creed useful? Why, why would we spend the next 13 weeks, and by the way, this is what we're going to do. We'll take a line from it, and then we'll use the Bible to show why that's true. So this will be a Bible study that's guided by the creed. So we'll take one line and then use the Bible to show why we believe God the Father Almighty. Okay, why do we, why is it useful? I'll give you a couple reasons. A creed, a creed defines some irreducible truth. And we live in a world that does not like objective truth. And because of that, the church sometimes can stick out because we actually believe in objective truth. And so what we'd like to do is, what are the things that are necessary to believe to be a Christian? Something else a creed does is that it corrects error in the church. So if you go and look at the history of the creeds, if you go to Chalcedon, if you go to um, Nicaea, those two councils that resulted in creeds, they happened because there was heresy in the church. And creeds, what they do is they set up these guardrails. We live in a world that, that objects to truth. But, but the church understood that since its founding, heresy and false teaching. So if, if heresy gets in, if false teaching exists, then, then we are in danger. It happens in our city, right right now. There are, let's just pick on Baptists. There are Baptist churches in Charlotte, North Carolina, that because they didn't have guards against heresy, teaching crept in that wasn't out of the Bible, but was heretical, and now they don't believe in the deity of Christ, don't believe in the need for atonement, don't believe in the fatherhood of God, don't believe in, uh, in the clear lines of sexuality of, of men and women, don't believe any of the things that we might would hold dear, even though they would say, we're a Baptist church and you're a Baptist church, we're probably the same. We're, we're not the same because Hickory Groves worked hard to put guards. What is heresy and what is not? And one of the great tools are things like creeds. Creeds that, that then morphed into statements of faith, 
that tell us these are the things that we believe from the Bible. And really, the worst danger that a church has is theological error. And um, creeds not only, they not only teach the truth, they guard us from error. Let me give you another uh, use for a creed. Creeds pr provide rules and standards for God's people. So if you t just take the Apostles' Creed. It functions as a guardrail for teaching and instruction. The Apostles' Creed helps us uh, teach and prepare new believers. It helped me. Honestly, I benefited from this short statement of faith because I came in a place where I, I didn't really learn anything uh, except I knew the Apostles' Creed. And it can be a tool to mature believers. Look, the creeds, like the Apostles' Creed, teach the church to worship and confess the faith. It is a good thing to collectively, as a congregation, confess the truth. Now, the way we do that mostly here at Hickory Grove is through singing. If you're in church on Sunday, you come to church on Sunday, and you, with the congregation, our worship leaders do such a great job of picking out music that become that is creedal. When you sing it, you're going to be singing right theological. You're going to be confessing the faith. Uh, the creeds teach us to be connected with the faith of our fathers and mothers. So here's what I mean. 21st century America, it can feel like we just invented everything. Like I came through going to seminary and there was no such thing as being able to take classes online. Right now, most people I know that are going to seminary, they're taking their classes online. They're not having to leave their home. When I went to seminary, I pastored a church in Lincoln County, Mississippi. New Orleans, Louisiana, where I went to school, was... 140 miles from where I was serving. So every day I would drive down to New Orleans to go to seminary, get my master's degree, and every afternoon drive home. You guys are supposed to be impressed with that. It's 280 miles. It's tough having people like this. So we I wore out a bunch of cars, right? I didn't have any way to, to do it other than that right there. Well, a creed becomes a way to teach that you... You didn't invent this. There were Christians here before you. And whenever you learn the creed, what you're learning is something that millions and millions and millions of Christians for 1,700 years have said. It connects you in some way with brothers and sisters who have gone on before us. And really, creeds summarize the faith. The reason we use this is it's a good summary. Now, nothing replaces the Bible. You come to Hickory Grove, you're going to hear us talk about the Bible. I'll stand up on Sunday and preach from the Bible. I think you ought to be reading the Bible every day. Nothing ever replaces the Bible or even comes close. But creeds help us see the essential truths. They summarize and categorize some of the things that we need to hold, we need to hold dear. And I'll give you one last thing to consider. The Apostles' Creed and the other creeds that are in our history help us define Christian unity. 
Sometimes it can feel like you're sectarian. Like here at Hickory Grove, we'll put a high priority on, on doctrine. We want our, I want our Christian men and women to know what they believe and why you believe it and the precision. I, I think the better you know the goodness of God, the better you know the Bible, the more you're going to be able to worship, the more you'll love God. That's why we always point to the Bible. That's why the Apostles' Creed will become uh, really our tour guide. I'm going to use it as a tour guide through the Bible. So that we'll take a phrase and then we'll go run that phrase through the Bible. What does the Bible say about it? I want you to know those things. I want you to know when a Jehovah's Witness comes to your door that you, you're not rude to the person and tell them that they're going to hell. If you do tell them that, do it in a nice tone of voice. <laughs> but, but you're able to say, this is why I believe differently than you. When a Jehovah's Witness comes and says, I mean, it happens, I'm using them because they're in my neighborhood a good bit. And if I'm out washing the car, they're coming up to talk to you. And so, come up and say, uh, have you ever, this is opening line, uh, have you given much thought to studying the Bible? I said, yeah, I was looking at it just a little bit ago. And, oh, isn't, well, that's really great. It's good for you to read the Bible. And so you have a way to start talking about what is the difference. And pretty soon in, if you understand some of the essential truths in the Apostles' Creed, what happens is you find out what they're peddling is heresy. And it's, it becomes a guardrail for you. So it can sometimes feel like you're being sectarian and judgmental. And I don't ever want it to be like that. I do want, however, you to be comfortable with having objective, real truth that you know, that you can find in the Bible, that defines who you are as a believer. It's more than just loving Jesus. If you love someone, you want to know that person. And the way you know Jesus is God's word. Don't say you don't, that you love Jesus without actually wanting to know Jesus. The way we know him is through his word. And so what we'll do in the next few weeks is take the Apostles' Creed, use it as a tour guide through the Bible to show us some of the great truths of the Bible. So I hope you'll be here for that and uh, come and be ready to walk through this. I hope that you are taking advantage of the Bible reading plan we have. If you haven't picked up the book Habits of Grace, it's a great book. I would just recommend it to you. Pick it up, read at your own leisure through it, and we'll uh, recommend one of those every month. And if you haven't started yet, you can start memorizing Romans chapter 8, verses 28 through 30. The way I try to do it is recite it slowly, 10 times in the morning, put it on cards, flip through them, and let your mind take pictures of each word, and get it inside of your heart, because there are some beautiful truths in Romans 8, 28, and 30. All right, let me pray. And uh, we'll be dismissed. Father, I pray that we would walk and see your word and love it. Pray that you give me a deeper hunger and thirst for your word. Forgive us for wanting to always look for applications and things we should do. Help us, Lord, to sit and hear and take hold of that which we must believe. Help us grow in faith. Help us grow in grace. We ask you to heal those that are our friends that are sick. 
Use that to turn their eyes to you. Protect our country. Bring peace. Give us hearts for the gospel. Keep us focused on Jesus. Go with us tonight. Bring us back Sunday ready to worship as a congregation. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks, everybody. You're dismissed.